Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hi, listeners. Host Brad Kearns in the Malibu studios finally got a hold of Mark Sisson and sitting him down in the hot seat to get into some long-lost Q&A. We have some great questions come up, and it has been a while uh, you've been a very busy guy, Mark. Tell us tell us what's been going on in the primal world. Oh, my goodness. So much going on. Uh, well, a certification uh, which we launched last fall has taken off. Uh, we've got uh, so many people who are who finished the program and are excited about starting the program. Um, I'm very thrilled with the results and, and the feedback that we've gotten from that. Uh, we launched Primal Kitchen, the food company, uh, about uh, a month ago. And we started with uh, Primal Kitchen Mayonnaise, and it's the world's healthiest mayonnaise. It's made out of avocado oil, uh, does not contain canola or soybean or any of those nasty oils that you typically find on the store shelf, in, uh, in, even in health food stores. Uh, and that, again, has, has met with tremendous uh, uh, support, and uh, people are, are writing in telling us how much they love the taste of it and how much they love the concept of being able to put mayonnaise on just about Everything that they eat, I mean, I think mayonnaise is probably the holy grail of the uh, of the paleo world. So we're very excited about that. Um, and yeah, just we're, we've redone the supplement line this year a little bit. We're uh, tailoring it uh, more to the needs of a true primal audience. Um, lots of stuff going on. And, and of course, we've got, what, four books in the pipeline, Brad? Got a lot of books in the pipeline. Primal Prescription, Primal Endurance, Primal Woman, we have a book called Fruit Belly. That's right, Fruit Belly, which has come out from our friend Romy Dole in Switzerland, who we met at PrimalCon. And it's a very interesting concept that um, these people that go on these fruit purification diets uh, get a distended uh, abdomen very soon. So um, lots of fun stuff going on. One thing I uh, really appreciate you mentioning was that uh, good oil in the mayonnaise and getting on a show with Dr. Kate Shanahan, one of her Q&A shows, she uh, specified these industrial uh, vegetable and seed oils as being possibly the most offensive thing to consume in the modern diet because they inflict oxidative damage on the cells immediately upon ingestion. Yeah, no, that's been a big, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the major points of a paleo or primal eating strategy has been the elimination of sugars, um, processed carbohydrates and industrial seed oils. Those three things right there uh, will get you 85 to 90 percent of where you need to be in uh, reaccessing health simply through changing the way you eat. And avocado oil is at the very top of the list. You know, for the longest time we said, well, extra virgin olive oil, very healthy, used with uh, reckless abandon on your salads and in mm -hmm. your cooking. Um, coconut oil for sure. Now red palm oil is back on the menu. I love that. Red palm oil is is a, is a great uh, source of phenols and antioxidants and other wonderful uh, uh, fatty acid profiles. And now avocado oil top on the list, and that's what we've used as the major basis of uh, the Primal Kitchen Mayo. 
Uh, so our friend Jennifer from PrimalCon, who raised the pig that we slaughtered and enjoyed, she went over to Whole Foods to try to get some mayo, and they didn't have it yet. Um, what can a consumer do right now to get their hands on a jar? Well, we, we so we have a, a three-pack on um, on uh, PrimalBlueprint.com. You, you can order three packs there, and we'll ship it to you for free. Uh, and then we have uh, – it's on ThriveMarket.com. You can buy individual bottles at ThriveMarket.com. And we are well on our way uh, into getting into some of these uh, health food stores um, across the country. It's just a, a it's a long process, and it's while we've had tremendous interest from all these stores being on the shelf and being and selling through, you need to have the customers go in and say, "Oh, I want that mayonnaise." You know, sometimes if if it just sits there and it doesn't sell, that's not a good thing. Even though the store might be very much in favor of carrying it, it still has to sell from the shelves. Well, that's okay because your shelf life is uh, four years, just like Best Foods mayonnaise, right? No, no, no. It's but it's it's a pretty appreciable nine month uh, shelf life, and and a, a, a industrial product would be actually a couple of years, right? Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of a, a downside. You, you're you're saying it's a plus that it's only nine month shelf life, which is pretty good. I mean, yeah, you better no, finish great. it in nine months. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's get to some questions, shall okay. we? Carl Bendy, our primal seminar presenter out in Michigan, who's always good for some very thoughtful questions, asks about slowing down metabolic rate and maybe adding some body fat in the winter months. Is it okay? Um, is it going to affect my goals to try to lean out during the winter months? Is there a better strategy I should think of? Well, my goodness, this year, in the, in, particularly in the Northeast, this has been the year to pack on some extra uh, body fat because it's been so cold. And that is how the body responds to extra cold is by putting on uh, a, a small layer of fat. So there is a there is rationale to allowing your body to go with seasons, to uh, increase the amount of fat that you put on during the winter and then to lose that during the summer. Uh, it isn't just about bikini season. It's about the fact that we are more active typically in the summertime. We The daylight hours are greater, so we have more we have more awake time. Um, there's more sun shining directly down on us. Uh, so uh, we're more, you know, it, it gets down to things like vitamin D and our mood and our willingness to go out and play and have fun in the summertime versus the wintertime. So there's a lot of reasons that we should listen to these signals of seasonality and be okay with them. Just as in a uh, training strategy, we might elect to what we do, uh, what we call periodicity. We may uh, periodize our, our training regimen so that we have some weeks where we've got huge training volume and other weeks where we taper off and don't have very much. Uh, so we should look at the seasonality of the availability of certain foods uh, and, and the, the, in, the willingness of our bodies to want to go out and play in the summer, but the hesitation or the, or the reluctance to do so when it's dark uh, from 4.30 in the afternoon all the way until 7.30 the next morning. It's fine. It's, 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 it's fine to do that. Um, and, and it may be a health benefit to have those seasonal adjustments to actually fluctuate from 5 to 15 pounds either way uh, throughout the year, as long as you don't accumulate 5 to 15 pounds every year, but to fluctuate, to go up and to go down, may actually have a health benefit. Well, this is, reminds me of a theme that's hit hard in primal endurance because it's so important to balance stress and rest for an endurance athlete. And the idea of having higher highs 
and lower lows. If you're interested in peak performance or interested in looking your very best during the bikini season, it might entail having a more, even more relaxing off season where you train less in order to harness your resources and balance your energy for the, the peak seasons, especially when weather's an issue like it is in Malibu, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. But <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. It's, yeah, right. No, it got so cold this winter. It got down to the high 50s and low 60s. It really affected your training. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was a disaster. Yeah, but I, but it's a good point that you bring up about, um, you know, like bikini models, for instance. Bikini models don't look like that all the time. And the reason they look so good when they're cutting up and getting ready for their photographic sessions is partly because they allow themselves to shift away from that and to be not so ripped and cut up for a few months at a time because they couldn't hold that that ripped, shredded look all year round. Some a few, a few do, but then you'll see that their health suffers as a result of it. Interesting. Well, this kind of transitions into another question of Carl's about uh, breaking through of a plateau when you've stalled on a low-carb eating pattern trying to cut excess body fat. Um, and he asked you, did you say that you eat about 30% less than you used to eat? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's that's one of those uh, aha moments I had pretty early on was that um, – I think a lot of us eat far more calories than we probably require to to survive and to thrive. And um, I looked at it at my own little thought experiment, which used to go something like this: What's the most amount of food I can eat and not throw up and not gain weight and not feel miserable? But you know, it's like, what can I get away with? What's the most amount of food I can get away with? In fact, I went through college with the nickname Arnold because everybody knew me as. Arnold Ziffel, which was a character, the, the, the pig on Green Acres, the TV show, because I could eat so much, they, they, they looked at me as this pig that could eat so much food, and yet I weighed 142 pounds. So I went from that sort of life philosophy, which was what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight, to the exact opposite, which is what's the least amount of food I can eat and still maintain my strength and my, and my body weight and my mass and still maintain my energy and not be hungry uh, and and not be, you know, uncomfortable. So what's the least amount I can get away with? And it was quite quite an epiphany to realize, wow, I don't require that many calories to get through a day. And I'm not hungry. I've developed the skill, which I think uh, is the major skill that we teach in the Primal Blueprint, which is how how to understand when you're hungry and when you're not and be able to and be able to not eat when you're not hungry. Uh, so we t- now pulling back a little bit to Carl's question, and that's, you know, what is it, what is an appropriate strategy for cutting, you know, if you've if you've plateaued or stalled in your weight loss efforts uh, on any paleo eating program or or the Primal Blueprint, and that's probably the number one question we get, which is, you know, I I, I had a lot of success early on, um, lost a lot of weight, and then I stalled at some point. What do I do now? Well, there are a number of things you can do, one of which is you can get online and and really truly track your calories and see what what it is that you're taking in. Maybe maybe you are still taking in too many calories. And I know people are going to say, well, wait, Mark, I thought this wasn't about counting calories. You never count calories in the Primal Blueprint. Well, you don't until you've got a goal of losing more weight, at which point you go, uh, I have to burn off more calories than I store. Not about calories in versus calories out. It's not about how many necessarily how much you eat versus, you know, but it is how many calories you burn versus how many calories you store. And some of that has to do with 
hormonal manipulation. You that's know, the difference, in fact. That's the difference. Calories in, calories out is a is a mathematical truth. Yeah, but it doesn't respect the hormone uh, elements where you say calories huge. burned versus calories stored. Right. And you've trademarked that statement, I believe, with the U.S. Patent Office. Yeah, no, okay. I have not. But but it you know it does it does uh, you know call to mind um, this concept that well if I if I were going to eat uh, three thousand calories a day of just bagels. You know, versus a 3,000 calorie diet that had me, uh, you know, drinking a cup of coffee in the morning and then having a big ass salad at, at lunch uh, and then having a, uh, a piece of grass fed steak and some grilled vegetables at night. What's the difference going to be? Theoretically, if it was just calories in versus calories out, there'd be no difference. And over the course of six months, there'd be no change in weight, there'd be no change in any other variables. Between somebody who just ate 3,000 calories a day worth of bagels and somebody who ate a primal blueprint diet. And, we, you know, we sort of we know that that's not what's ca- the case because for most people, taking in that amount of carbohydrates is going to raise insulin, it's going to increase uh, fat storage, uh, going to decrease muscle mass because that's not enough protein to take in, probably increase inflammation. So there'll well, be some. Uh, it's going to increase appetite. At the same time, making you too tired to go and work out. And, mis- and miserable because you're hungry, even though you're getting the same amount of calories. So, you know, we, so I'm getting a little bit off track, but I wanted to explain that concept of uh, that calories in, calories out is a, does not take into effect the hormonal influence of whether or not you're storing those calories, burning those calories, increasing thermogenesis, uh, building muscle, uh, improving the number of mitochondria, so on and so forth. Now, what do you do when you stall? Well, number one, um, you recognize all the good work you've done to get here. You say to yourself, wow, this is great. I've lost 60 pounds or 40 pounds or 175 pounds. And I'm now at a point where my body says, this is fantastic. Let's stay here a while. And there's nothing wrong with that because this is, when you plateau, if you have the energy you want, if you have, if you don't get sick, um, you know, if you've got, all of the other variables are in line, your blood work looks good, then what's the problem? The fact that you have a spare tire still that you want to get rid of, um, you know, that's in your head going, that's a problem. But if you were a hunter-gatherer, you'd say, whoa, this is great. I'm, uh, you know, I have all the energy I want and um, I've got this extra fat stored so I can live longer. Um, nevertheless, there are people who say, well, what do we do to, to, to drop the next 20 pounds or 30 pounds? And it may be, that if you've done all the things right and that you've you've cut back way back on the on the sugars, you've cut back on the processed carbohydrates, you've cut back on the industrial seed oils and made sure that you've done that, uh, that maybe the next thing to do is to increase carbs, do a carb refeed, maybe 200 grams um, a day, once or twice a week as an experiment. Again, we're back to you know, what is it that that differs among us? You know, we all burn fat the same way. We all build muscle the same way. We all, uh, we all fight infections the same way. It's just the degree to which we do these things that differs among individuals. And that's why it's incumbent upon us to ultimately get to this experiment of one. Okay, I've got a template for what works, but now to really dial it in very narrowly and figure out exactly how I get to my goals, I'm going to have to experiment. If I've plateaued on the weight loss... Two things I have people do. Number one, I have people, I, I say, are you sprinting? Because a lot of times, if you haven't dipped into your glycogen stores and really gone to the well, then you may still have some insulin sensitivity issues. You may you may be resistant. You may still be insulin resistant. Uh, and so sprinting once a week, you know, sort of squeezes those 
those um, glycogen stores, uh, I squeeze them dry. It doesn't squeeze them dry, but it slightly depletes them. And that's glycogen that's being burned that now requires of that muscle that, that it take in more carbohydrate, more glucose in order to manufacture more glycogen. And in order to take it in, that muscle cell has to become more sensitive. So there is that. It's a combination of sprinting once a week and maybe doing a carb refeed. So the refeed for a low-carb eater is also going to promote insulin sensitivity by having to deal with this onslaught that it's not used to right. of a whole bunch of carbs. Correct. Correct. So it's just a it's just a minor reset. One of the things that we notice with um, with people who've gone on very low-carb diets for very long periods of time is that at first they they achieve some uh, significant measure of insulin sensitivity. They become exquisitely sensitive to insulin, and that's a good thing. But at some point, when you stay on a low-carb uh, diet, very low-carb diet, you become slightly insulin-resistant again. Now you go, well, why would the body do that to me? Well, the reason the body does that to me is when you become adapted to a low-carb diet, you become good at burning fat, you become good at using ketones in the muscles, in the brain, in the cardiac muscle, then the body says, wow, if, if, we're, if we're only ever going to eat very low-carb, then I'm going to become insulin resistant, and here's why. I'll become insulin resistant because I don't need the glucose to go into my muscles anymore. I'm good at burning fat. I'm good at accessing ketones. I don't need all that glucose in my blood. I'm going to save it for the brain. So it's, an, it's just another response. It's so elegant and brilliant how the body handles this. At that point, the body says, I don't really need the glucose in my muscles. I'm just going to save it for the brain. So I'm going to make the muscles resistant, slightly resistant, and I'm going to allow that glucose, whatever glucose does come in, I'm going to make it available for the brain. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad form of insulin resistance. Um, but if you're, if that's an issue for you or whatever, you want to do a carb refeed once in a while, you want to you go up and add an extra two, 250, maybe up to 300 grams of carbs on a, on a once in a while basis, try it, see how it works for you. Does yeah. that make sense, Brad? I think it makes sense. We want to we want to make that distinction clear because it's a little bit some of the if you're not familiar with the terms insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity, um, you want to be insulin sensitive, right? And insulin resistance. You you drew this uh, unique example of someone who's not producing a lot of insulin and therefore will we'll go down a different road. But the classic example of insulin resistance is as a very dangerous disease pattern where the body's ignoring the signals of insulin and uh, overwhelmed by the amount of glucose in the bloodstream and not dealing with it properly. Right. Especially when the liver becomes insulin resistant. And tell us why that's such a big deal. Well, when the liver's resistant, um, it's not getting the signal that there's glucose in the bloodstream. Plenty of glucose available. Plenty of glucose available. So uh, not only does that glucose not get into the cells in, in the liver that are going to, where the glycogen is going to be stored, the liver starts making its own glucose and pumping that into the bloodstream because it thinks there's not enough glucose around. That's how you get into severe disease pattern really quick. And for a while, you're just going to store all that extra glucose is in the fat cells. Well, that's the best thing that can happen to you. The best thing, The best right. thing that happens is you store it in the fat cells and you become fat. Um, the worst thing is that it stays in the bloodstream, and then you start getting the neuropathies, the retinopathies, the uh, the amputations as a result of loss of circulation that uh, become so rampant in a type two diabetic. 
the advanced glycation end products, which act on the longer lasting cells in the body. Um, and it's, it's trouble all around. Um, same for the uh, people that exercise a lot and consume a lot of carbohydrates. They're not immune to these dangers of having that glucose in the bloodstream all day long. Well, I mean, we see, a, I, I've encountered a lot of lifetime endurance athletes who over the years find that their blood sugar is higher and higher and higher because they become more insulin resistant. Even though they're exercising and even though they're doing work, they've become resistant. And as a result, there's more, there's more glucose in the bloodstream and that's toxic so that glucose sometimes, um, you know, binds with proteins that are floating around the bloodstream. That's the advanced glycated end products that can literally gum up the works. So you're against endless snacking all day long for an endurance athlete? You know, what's interesting is I'm against endless snacking for a lot of reasons. Um, certainly that's one of them. That that uh, And that's the irony of the mantra of the 80s, which was, you know, be sure you eat five to six small meals a day. Don't go two or three hours without eating because you'll go into cannibal mode. That's not just pure horse crap. That's just dangerous now to be able to do that because your 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 body wants you to not eat and it wants to sort of normalize hormones for long periods of time. And when you just keep continuously feed it and feed it and feed it and prime that insulin pump over time, you get into trouble. And your body fat stays there no matter what, even if you're working really hard and burning a ton of calories. Or increases. Yeah. Right. Uh, Larry Diamond. Yeah, our Larry. favorite PrimalCon guest and Primal Blueprint success story, who dropped a hundred pounds going Primal and improved a lot of health uh, factors asked for himself about, and his family and his whole family. Yeah, yeah incredible. Um, he asked about taking supplements on an empty stomach, such as the, the omega threes, the vitamin D, and a couple other uh, herbs that he likes to take. You know, there's no harm in taking uh, supplements on an empty stomach. Other than you may get a little bit of a stomach upset. Um, and for instance, I don't. I have a cast iron stomach. But the reason to take any supplements uh, with some amount of food is that, that when you're, that's when your body's most primed to accept these nutrients. You've initiated a digestive process that literally opens the doors, opens the floodgates to allow these beneficial micronutrients to get into your bloodstream and to do what they're supposed to do. Here's an interesting question from Jed. We all know about the health risks one carries when overweight and metabolically challenged, and some of us who lose those extra pounds are often left with external scars to remind us, the stretch marks, the loose skin. I mean, you could have worse problems, but it's there. It's an issue. Um, and also wondering, what about the internal and possibly invisible scars of once being overweight and having metabolic disease? Do those who have once been there have to be aware of any long-term effects? I'm kind of thinking of a parallel between the smokers who have that elevated risk of lung cancer for many years after they quit smoking. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a simple um, measure of how long it took you to get into the metabolic damage that you're currently suffering. And as long as it, as it took to get there or as deep down that, uh, that hole as you may have dug yourself, it may take a while to get fully back out of it. So the, the initial manifestation of the weight loss, um, the uh, regaining of the energy, um, the, the getting rid of the uh, systemic inflammation and all of the related issues that may have to do with, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome or type 2 diabetes, those happen fairly quickly, but there may be some long-term gut damage, for instance, 
that's going to take a while to heal. I mean, in my own case, it probably took me five years of eating like this to kind of fully heal my gut. Even though I got the major benefits within the first couple of months, um, I still suffered the effects of having consumed an inappropriate amount of gluten-containing grains for a long period of time. Like for me, it was 45 years. So that diamond, that just doesn't repair itself overnight or over a period of week. It may, it may take years. Uh, but I don't think that that's a, you know, it's not a bad thing. It is what it is. I just, it just does sort of bring up the point that when you are on this journey to recover and repair, um, there may be a lot more damage than is visible on the surface. But that doesn't mean that you're not continuously recovering and repairing and working your way back toward, uh, uh, you know, complete health. Uh, the smoker sort of concept of, well, it, they say that if you were a, a you know, a two-pack-a-day smoker, it takes a good 15 years of not doing that to, to get back to having the same risk factor as a non-smoker. You might argue, well, how do you ever get back to having the same risk factor as a non-smoker? So if the body can repair itself in only 15 years from that, you know, that's that's just speaks to the power of the of, of the body to heal itself over time. Yeah, Deepak Chopra talks about that and how, how the, um, the cells regenerate themselves and you make a new stomach every six weeks and you make a new skeleton every 12 months and make new lungs every uh, nine months or something. It's fascinating. No, they stuff. say something like, to, and I, I got to look this up because it's, it's kind of a cool thing, but uh, that in six years, there's no atom remaining from the previous, from six years ago, that, that there's been that amount of turnover in your body. We're just a swirling mass of atoms doing the best we can every day. So congratulations, because the finish of Jed's question was, hey, I used to be one of those guys, but thanks to Mark Stingley Apple, I'm I'm keeping off these pounds. Right. Uh, Let's, I want to end with one more, uh, and and you telling us what you you told me off the air about your latest cool primal hobby of doing the cold plunges every night. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, having read so much about um, hormesis, this uh, short shock to the body that has a a beneficial effect Um, and looking at cryotherapy over the past few years, whether it was uh, Jack Cruz's um, ventures into um, uh, hours long ice baths, falling asleep in the ice bath, falling asleep or whether it was um, uh, Wim Hof, uh, you know, cutting holes in the ice and and becoming the ice man. Uh, or my own experimentation with uh, this cryotherapy, this nitrogen cryotherapy, where you get into a uh, what amounts to an anti-sauna naked, and it's 300 degrees below zero when you're in there for a couple of minutes. Um, I've, I've always been, you know, fascinated by this, and so I started taking cold plunges at night just before bed. I've got a, uh, I'm lucky enough, fortunate enough to have a pool outside my uh, backyard, and I have a jacuzzi right next to it. So I fire up the jacuzzi, and then. Um, I get, we have a fire pit. So just before it's bedtime at my house, my wife and I go outside. I turn on the fire in the fire pit, turn off all the lights in the house. I do a cold plunge for probably five to seven minutes. And the water's typically from anywhere from 52 to 59 degrees. Um, I stay in as long as I can without, um, without becoming very uncomfortable. Uh, and then I get into the jacuzzi and I'll, and I'll warm up for 10 or 15 minutes in the, in the jacuzzi. Then I'll get back in the pool for maybe two minutes and then warm up in the jacuzzi and go to bed. And the, and the net effect is it's almost drug-like. I mean, I go to bed so fully rested and so completely ready to fall asleep and sleep so soundly that it's now become a really important part of my, my new ritual, and I love it. 
Uh, you're speculating about not only the temperature changes and the hormesis, but also the calming effect of water, which was detailed in the primal connection, that it just puts our brain at ease. And especially right before bed, it seems like a wonderful idea. Well, and and you'll get a kick out of this, Brad, is that I actually swim laps uh, while I'm, you know, doing the cold part of this. And uh, that is sort of antithetical to my experience over the past 20 years, ever since I s- stepped away from the Ironman and said, never again. That is shocking. We couldn't bribe you to swim a swim workout back in the day, but now he's yeah. swimming laps in a freezing cold pool. So yeah. Mark Sisson, thanks for spending the time with us on the Q&A podcast. Primal Blueprint podcast listeners, thanks so much for your support. And please, if you have some time, go over to iTunes and leave us a rating because it helps elevate the profile of the show and increase our ability to spread the word about primal living. Until next time, this is your host, Brad Kearns. Take care. Let's go plunge. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support. And much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body. And shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.